If you have your Bibles this morning, it goes to the book of John chapter 3. We're going to stay there pretty much uh, all the service. I'll make references to some other places. Um, Men's Summit is one thing, and nobody's mentioned it, and I, it's probably my responsibility, and it's uh, Josh Townsend. If you're wanting to go to Men's Summit, and somebody goes, what's Men's Summit? It used to be Men's Retreat, now it's called the Summit, and uh, it's $120. It's, we'll leave on a Thursday. We'll get up to the campgrounds. we got a dorm room, and uh, if you've never heard snoring, you still never hear snoring. A group of men in a, in a, a, a dorm room, but I encourage you to go. A lot of people go crazy uh, signing up for the motel and things. We don't do that. We just get the dorm rooms, and we all stay together. So if you're in, interested in going to that, we're going to be, uh, got to have the money on the 15th of August, and uh, something more about that as we go closer to the date. Last week, I spoke on uh, safe from what? And I still say the same thing to you. What does it mean, safe from what? Somebody comes up and asks you, what am I safe from? What are, we, what are we safe for? There's all these questions that people have, and, uh, and rightfully so. I'm sure if I had never been raised in church, if somebody came up to me and, and said, like I used to say when I was in the third grade, and I went around talking to all the kids after I gave my heart to the Lord, and I'd say, are you saved? They'd look at me kind of dumbfounded. I'd say, well, if you're not, you're going to hell. That was a great tactic in a way to present the gospel, and it was terrible. I wonder how many remember from the third grade to this day, and maybe people are not in church because of my big mouth or something. But, but we need to have an understanding of what we're really saved from. It's not just a ticket we purchase and that we work for, and we're, we escape we escape escape hell, and it's a promise and a, and a gift or a promise that we go to heaven. It's a whole lot of things. When Christ came to this earth, he came to provide a, a different way of living, a different lifestyle, a different way of thinking. Last week we spoke in the second book of Second Kings chapter 5. And in that book we, we talked about Naaman and when Naaman, first, the first message was saved from sin. And Naaman had a little spot on his ear, on his hand, on his foot or somewhere. But over a period of time he, he just justified, it's, it's okay, it's, it's just a little, it's not big. But the longer it stayed there, the larger it got. And finally, he got to the place, I'm making this part up, but it's possible. He finally got to the place that, that the, the leprosy that he had, it got to his ear, and his ear had come off. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, that would make, that would get my attention. And I don't know if his ear really came off, or hand, or foot, or elbow, I don't know. But something was devastating his life. And so he, and then he went to the man of God, and, and uh, he went to the king of Israel first, or Judah, and he said, I can't do anything. And a man by the name of Elisha said, send him to the house. He came down there, and Elisha sent his servant out to tell him, Gehazi. And he went out to the door, and he said, go to the Jordan River and dip seven times. Well, at that command, Naaman went nuts. Just went nuts, mad. I've got a, a granddaughter that lives with us. Her name is London. And when London comes back from being at her father's, uh, she has these little attitudes that she has. How many of you knows that she always has some attitude? But this, Lathan said about two years ago, she's the bossiest little kid ever. And, uh, but now, when she came back this time, she gets mad, she'll stomp her foot. I saw it the first time I let it go. She, I said something to her, and she said something, stomped her foot. Well, I went up and gave her a little quick encouragement and told her to stop, stop this stomp, foot stomping. What was my point in that? 
come back later. Okay. So Naaman, Naaman, that's exactly what Naaman did. He stomped his foot and spit on the ground and everything, and he was not going to go to the Jordan River because where he's from, the rivers are much cleaner, much, much clearer, and much more healthy in the first place. So his entourage with him encouraged him to go, and he did. And it wasn't the first, the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, but it was the seventh time that he was obedient that brought him healing. So what was he saved from? He was saved from this disease on his body, the sickness that he had that was attacking him and going to take him down and, and destroy his life. But he was set free and he was delivered from that because of obedience. When you come to an altar, when a person comes to Jesus, there has to be an act of obedience and a, and a, and a desire in your heart that says, Lord, I want to. Lord, I want to. I want to be changed. I want to be different. And... When that happens and when you come to an altar or, or stand behind the, the car or you're driving or, or out in the hay field or, or in the barn milking the cows or whatever it is. When you're at that place and the Lord deals with you, when you confess with your mouth, it's amazing what God will save you from. And so that was the first, the first issue was that he saved uh, somebody from a sin in their life or a physical ailment. But we used it in the sermon that it was a bigger thing than that. So the next thing I think about. Why do I need a Savior? You know, when you think, when somebody says something to you about needing, are you saved, are you born again, you immediately say, well, what's wrong with me the way I am? Coming to Jesus doesn't make us perfect. Doesn't make us make all of our decisions correct. Doesn't make us behave correctly. But it sure can change the way we think about a lot of things. I'm going to talk to you about an, ele an element that we all have, and um, I've used this many times in sermons, but, um, so we're saved from what? Saved from not knowing, not knowing. If I had some boxes up here, and, and uh, they're just marked, maybe blue one, a red one, a white one, orange one down here, and I just set them on the stage, it doesn't mean there's anything in them, I just set them there to pique your curiosity. It would drive some of you crazy. Some of you are OCD that they do not fit the color scheme in here at all. They would drive you nuts. And you would just be wanting to go swap up there. Get them off the platform. They, need, they don't need to be there. They're out of place. Believe it or not, it's your curiosity that begins to spark your mind to think. Many places we're going to see in scripture that curiosity is how God got through and ministered to people. Curiosity is the element in our life that causes us to push a little bit farther than many feel us safe. A strong desire to know or learn something. An inquisitive interest in, other, in, others, in others. Investigation, exploration, learning from other people. And this is natural. If you go to Proverbs in chapter 25, I'm, I think I gave you that one. This is in King James Version today. If the glory of God is, a, is to... The glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Listen, many times the, the things of God are, are not hard. Many times when Jesus was teaching and, and disciples and stuff, my mind is going so far ahead. Jesus had an important, important part of, of his message was frustrating to the scribes and the Pharisees. 
It was frustrating to the people who had always been churched. But it was very easy to understand to everybody else. The same with this scripture. It is the glory of God to conceal the things. In other words, many people don't receive the truths of God's word, of repentance, of, of knowing that they have sinned in their life, of uh, whatever the condition may be. It, it is the honor of kings to search it out. And you, you can look it up and you can do a little study on this if you want to, but that is the part that began to intrigue me about me, about you. The curiosity that we have, that we don't understand everything, but we have a desire to know. You may have never known the Lord before. You may have never considered it. You may have thought this all for a bunch of, where's Randy Bertman? You know, Randy, you may have thought that, that I was a, a stiff old, doesn't matter. Uh, he grew up and he, he went to church with his son out for Bell City, and that was an ancient time ago. But there was probably some times him or Nick or different ones that went, probably thought, man, He's a little bit out there. Some of the things they teach, some of the things they believe. But it's the honor of king is to search out the matter. And many of you today, before we get done, your mind is going to begin to search. You're going to begin to seek out some things. You want to know some things that you haven't known before. You've never known the Lord before, maybe. Or maybe you've fallen away because of things in your life and the things didn't work out right. Go to John chapter 3. St. John chapter 3. I'm going to read a lot of verses, so just bear with me. Now, today I'm going to be speaking about a man by the name of Nicodemus, and uh, I'm going to call him Nick instead of Nicodemus. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto the rabbi, We know that thou art come from God, for no man can do these things except that thou Thou doest except God be with him. But look in verse 3. And Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, except a man be born again, he cannot, accept, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. I want you to stop there for a second. Why did the man go to Jesus at night for the first, first place? He didn't want anybody to see him because of his position. His position, his, his element of, of uh, grandeur, as you would say, with the religious people. Afraid that people would see him. He didn't want other people to know, but he was curious. There was something driving him crazy about, about knowing who Christ was and what he represented and was he for him in his life. He acknowledges that he is from God. It was a risky to see a Pharisee to be seen with Christ at the time because a lot of people already started to put a, a price on Christ's head. And Christ takes attention off himself. And listen, he takes attention off himself and reverses it. His curiosity gave opportunity for Christ to speak some truth to him. He said, no man, read verse 3. Jesus answered, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. There was something unique about that, because he didn't want to elevate himself. Jesus wasn't here to, about building a name or, or have everybody look at him like he was something special. Instantly, he took the attention and put it back on Nicodemus for him to evaluate himself. It was strategic. It was very thoughtful. It, was, it had a purpose. And many times in our lives, we don't think that he thinks that way. He just lays little things in our hearts and we pray about him. But this is a, a, a big person here. This is a great person. 
for him to understand who he was and who he wasn't in Christ. He was curious, Nicodemus. Nick was. He was afraid he might be missing something important. And maybe at that time, you know, there was a lot of, you know, they were looking for the Messiah and he had never shown up. And, and he was curious. He had a, a lot of anxiety, maybe amongst other Pharisees, of hearing rumors about Jesus. So instead of hearing rumors and saying things, he went directly to the source and talked to him. He needed some answers. Was he willing to risk his life? Possibly. Was he risking his stature, his reputation, his family's respect? There's a lot of risk. There's a lot of risk when it comes to curiosity. How many of you, before you ever started a business, begin to think, I'm just curious, if I do this, would this happen? Could I make it? Would this do well? Before you ever bought a piece of property, before you bought your home or whatever it is, you were curious. You didn't know the end result, but you took a chance. That's what curiosity does. It doesn't matter where we're from or how you were raised. Listen, and that is so true. A lot of us categorize ourselves and our way of thinking. And we may be curious, but we never pursue our curiosity because of how we were raised or how our family thought or, or the environment that we were raised in. But if you're curious, God's got something in mind for you. If you just trust him, if you let him into your heart, It doesn't matter where you're from or how you're raised. We believe that there is intriguing. There is intriguing in each of us. And God knows what it is. But does he know my name? Sure he does. Does God have a purpose in your life? Absolutely. Can he forgive you for all that you've done? Actually, he can. Can I really be changed? Absolutely, too. How many believes you can really be changed through Christ? Absolutely. How many, you don't have to raise your hand, I don't expect you to, but how many of you really doubt you can never experience a change of Christ working in your life? Something really changing. You may have an addiction, you may have a problem, you may have, maybe, I don't know what it is, but it's something that can, that can submit to Christ. There's a scripture I got written down here in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says what? Therefore, if any man is in Christ, is a new what? A new creation, something new. When a person gets curious enough and they begin to allow Christ to reign in their life, in their, in their body, in their person, their personality changes. Have you ever known anybody from, from darkness to light? Someone before Jesus and someone after Jesus? It's amazing to me. Many of you in this crowd, I knew you before you came to Christ. And it's amazing the difference in your life now compared to how you used to be. It doesn't even make sense. I'm still the same person. There's not more money in the bank. Something about how you think your curiosity initially brought you to a place of repentance. I'm safe from what? I'm safe from myself. I'm safe from my corrupt way of thinking. I'm safe in my curiosity. Verse 9. Nicodemus answered and said, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Truly, truly, I say to you that we speak that we do not, we, 
we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and ye have not received our witness. If I have told them, if I told you earthly things, ye not, would ye not believe? How shall ye believe if I tell you heavenly things? Here's the thing. There's things about faith that you don't understand. There's things that we will never understand totally. You believe in healing, Wade? You believe in healing? I believe in healing. There's people, do people get healed every time I pray for somebody? No, they, they don't. Many times they do. Many times people are healed. Does it mean we have to understand it? No. There's a lot of things that God does that we don't have to understand. Well, we can be open to him and say, God, you just do what you want to do. I'll be in, I'll be in total agreement with, with the functions and what you're moving and speaking to people's lives and doing to people's lives. We have to unlearn. We have to unlearn the things that we've been taught in order to believe more. I'm going to say that again because I want that to sink deep in within your heart. We have to, be, we have to unlearn things that we have been taught in order to believe more. We do. Maybe you've never believed at all. So you have to unlearn some things that you're told about Christianity or about Christ. There's a lot of junk that goes on in churches and a lot of people's lives. There's a lot of hypocrisy and there's a lot of rude and, and uh, legalistic thinking. Verse 3, verse 14. And as Moses is lifted up, even so the Son of Man be lifted up. Even must so the Son of Man be lifted up. Now he knew that the Nicol, Nicodemus, Nicol, Nicol standing there, and he's lecturing him and telling him all these things he can do different. And it's so different than everything he'd ever taught, ever been taught. And he said, no, I tell you all these things beforehand, but now I'm telling you about as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and the people were bitten, and they could look at it, and they were healed. That's another story. But he was forewarning him about the crucifixion. I didn't see it until later in the book. But this is important in Nicodemus' life. Verse 15. So that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have eternal life. Now who is that? Who is that? Whoever. Under the law, not under the law, legalistic people, self-righteous, the greatest of all sinners, even the tax collectors. You know, the, the greatest offender in that time was a, a Jewish person who was a tax collector. Because he was working against the people and taking their money and giving it to the Romans. And they were really considered dogs, thought very low of, very low of them. And Zacchaeus was one, and, and Matthew was one. They were both tax collectors. Look at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What are we saved from? Eternal damnation. There's so much more to this Christianity, to, to getting saved than what we think of. Often, you know, when I was little, I told you last week, eight years old, I came to the Lord and, and gave my heart to the Lord, and I cried and prayed and, and repented of all the stuff I'd ever done, ever thought or whatever. And that was good. It was very true. And, and, 
But I didn't think about all the ramifications and all the things that's going to go along in my life as a Christian. Verse 16, verse 17. For God sent not his son into this world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. How many here have ever felt condemned by Christians? Either you're not good enough or you're not living good enough or you have a compromise in your life. How many? How many? I'm serious. I want you to participate in this. Yeah. Makes you think, like, what's the use, right? What's the use? Well, the use is this. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what judgment they cast upon you. Your, your salvation, your, your personal walk is within you. You've got to do what's right within yourself. You may never have everybody's applause. I, I've used this example before. We used to go to Pizza Hut whenever Pizza Hut was open. Y'all remember that before the pandemic? You know, back a long time ago. And before that even, years before that, we used to go there and eat about just about every Sunday night. I got sick of pizza. How many get sick of Mexican food? I'm so sick of Mexican. Okay. And, okay. Um, so, went to Pizza Hut all the time, all the time. If there would be maybe six people at a table, I'd walk in, and everybody from the church who was eating, eating there, whatever, walked in, and they just got, they got quiet. They were afraid something was going to jump off of us and jump onto them. Anyway. But Jesus made it clear we're not saved by condemnation or guilt or the law or legalism. It's obvious that salvation is for whosoever. Whosoever. I say, Lord, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. He says, that's okay. I, I paid a price for this with my son a long time ago. And you come to Christ anytime you want. As I said, many times I've spent at the altar because of the horrible things I was doing and what I've been participating in. Your curiosity, it changes a lot of people. I want you to go to the book, book of Exodus, if you would. If you have your Bibles and your phones or whatever. I'd like to have the worship team come back. I know there's no time, but I want you to come back. Look at Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock on the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord prepared unto him, uh, appeared unto him into, in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned but with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside now and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called, unto, called, him, called him aside out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I, Lord. I want you to picture in your mind, if you will, 
You're out minding your business. I'm out with my cows on the back side of my property, and I'm back there just counting them or knocking flies off or whatever it is, just sitting there watching. And all of a sudden, a burning bush appears over on the side of a hill, and, and I think, man, that is weird. Let me go over and look at that. And the closer I get to it, I realize that nothing has happened. It's just on fire. There's an instant, uh, uh, what do you call it, instant combustion. That word, instant combustion. And, and I go over and I'm watching it, and after I get over there, I notice that nothing is consumed. And then I notice something is different. Listen, folks, God will use natural things sometimes to get our attention, just to get your attention. And he got, he got my attention to say, I'm Moses. He said, why take off your shoes? There's a place you're standing that's holy. And the same with you, the same with me. You came here this morning never, ever anticipating a salvation message maybe. Maybe, maybe you did. Maybe you've been looking for the day that, that something spoke to your heart. Curiosity caused Moses to turn and see and what was going on in that shrub, in that bush. This curiosity is what permitted Moses to be used and God made himself known. Nothing wrong. Nothing wrong with God using something like that. Nothing at all. Nothing wrong with you. Regardless of what your past has been, regardless of what your last name is. See, when I was growing up, my mom's going to watch this, and my sister and some other people back home are going to watch this, but I went to school with some kids. Higgs family. They were just, you know, good people, but rougher and maybe a little dirty and didn't always bathe as much as everybody everybody else. And just kind of labeled them, you know. It's amazing how often church people become arrogant in your legalistic thinking. People in most churches, not here, I don't really think that happens here. But everybody comes in and dresses a certain way to, to get the praise and, and the pleasing or the approval of everyone else. You can come here, I'm going to tell you not to be modest. And I think you need to wear your best to church. I don't care how anybody comes in here. It doesn't matter. I think the majority of our people care. We want people to come. There's a reason that people are speaking in different places about the assembly in Bloomfield. There's something about, about where, who we are and what we represent. Make them curious. No, not that we're weird and we don't break the snakes out in a few minutes when everybody's not looking and pass them around. Not like that at all. It makes people curious. It's time you, let, you allow God to speak to your life. Like Nicodemus, who was curious, and like Moses, who was curious. Curiosity doesn't always mean kill the cat. Many times it is us getting up out of the way of normalcy and the supernatural things that only God can do. I got one more scripture I want to share with you. You see, we often don't know what God is doing. We may have poured our heart out and spoke a lot of great things to people and think, man, maybe they'll come around. 
It's in the book of John. Verse 30, 30, 38, chapter 19. See, nobody thought that that Nicodemus, from the beginning of the message, they thought, you know, he just heard these things. He was curious. They didn't realize anything had really happened. Maybe years had went by. Well, actually, years had went by. Maybe two or three years. And and here we see that something took place in Nicodemus' life. In chapter uh, 19, verse 38. And after this, Joseph Arimathea, being the disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. And he came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. Now, there came also... Nicodemus. See, something had happened in Nicodemus' life because Joseph was a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ, but he was afraid of Nicodemus' side, the Pharisees. Curiosity had won over. And there came also Nicodemus, which which at the first came to Jesus by night. Brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. And they took the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes and spices as the manner of the Jews were. Don't know when Nicodemus had heartfelt place of repentance. But that first meeting he had with Christ, it changed his life. He knew then that something was going on, something on the inside that nobody else could do. When he, when he spoke, when Christ spoke to him, he, I think his spirit leaped. I think this is, he's thinking, this is what I've been looking for. This is what we've all been looking for. But he was too afraid maybe at that time to make it public. Maybe you're too afraid to make it public. What do you save from? Save from being a jerk? Save from, save from being a self-seeking person that's all about you? Are you saved because you're a, a thief or a gambler? I don't know what it is. It doesn't matter to me. But it matters to him. And he has you here to kind of pique your interest, your curiosity. He says, come unto me, those that are weary, those that have questions. Nicodemus found him. It's a salvation message. Sometimes we see ourselves becoming distant in our walk with the Lord. Saying, come back. Come back. Let your curiosity do its work. Let it do the work it needs to do.